Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. So Carol said to me last night, did you go out with girls? No. Boys went trick-or-treating. No, you mapped the good Boys. Girls went trick-or-treating with girls, and and the... The goal was mischief. Yes. It wasn't the candy. <laughs> no, the goal was full-size candy the, bars. Well, or money. Sometimes you would you yeah. would say you were collecting for, for UNICEF <laughs> and you would keep the money. Because you didn't even know what UNICEF was. You know, I'm not a globalist. Right. I'm taking the money. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. So I have thought back about that, about the UNICEF thing. What what happened was, and I don't even know if people know what UNICEF is anymore. It's United Nations Children's Emergency Fund or something like that. This is when, in the 1950s, the United Nations was a relatively new and exciting concept. And you felt, as a resident and citizen of the United States of America, that you could help poor people all over the world that you could solve everybody's problems. This is what everybody young felt at that point. You could solve everybody's problems. Nobody had the good sense to say to anybody young, hey, they've been doing this for 9,000 years, and you just got here last Thursday. So maybe you ought to slow your roll, Sparky. Nobody said that. Everybody encouraged everyone to solve all the problems in the world. And at school, they gave you a small milk carton. The milk that you got with your school lunch probably was six ounces of milk or four ounces of milk or something like that. I don't even know if these cartons exist anymore. I don't have any idea. And they made the carton so that you could open it and people could drop change into the carton. And the next day you would go to school and give all the change. Now, the change that people gave were pennies. They were just pennies. Does anybody know what a penny is anymore? Because there are no pennies anymore. Pennies still add up. Yeah, but but in those days, it was pennies. So maybe you collected 30 or 40 pennies. And maybe you gave the school 10. And maybe you kept 30. (laughs) And you went to the bank. A little something for the effort. Yeah, you rolled into the bank and you said, I got some pennies here. Can I have a dime or a quarter or something like that? It wasn't a tremendous amount of money. But that's what you were tasked to do. And these milk cartons were usually decorated either in the blue of the United Nations, that light Carolina blue of the United Nations, or orange for Halloween. And, you know, after a while, if you got a lot of pennies and you were out with two other guys, you used the carton to smash somebody's head in. You know, you threw the entire carton at somebody's head and see what would happen. See if his head would explode, if the pennies would fall over, you know, fall out onto the street. That was what happened relatively late at night with the UNICEF pennies and the and the dumb carton. And I don't even know. Like, did, when your so kids when was, go to school, do they get milk in a small carton? No. No? But they're, they're not at that kind of school yet. We, we okay. pack everything in, pack everything out. Right. But even when I was what a did kid, they dress as, by the way? Yes. Oh, Chase and Marshall. Oh, big hits. Okay. Big hits, Chase and Marshall. So I don't no know what Chase and big. Marshall means. No pup too small. I don't Paw know Patrol. what that means. What are Chase and Marshall? They're Paw Patrol characters. Oh, so what, to Bootsy, my niece, Bootsy, my niece went as Paw Patrol. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sky. Uh, don't I don't know which one. <laughs> so the bootster puts on his costume. He looks at himself in the mirror. He keeps checking himself out. And he goes, "I'm Chase now. I'm actually in his mind. He had become the full character." And who's the other one? Uh, Marshall. He are either the of these truck. dogs? Because on TV dogs. a lot, they're dogs. No, they or are cats. dogs. Oh, they are they, dogs. And they do rescue missions. Oh. And what is the name of the show? Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol? Yes. P a w Paw. Paw. That's Paw. Right. Poor. Yeah. We'll be there. Oh, what is the that? Double. Is that like on I think it's on Channel ES- 4, it's Channel 9? It's on, yeah, it's it's on, on the, the deuce. deuce. It is? Poor yeah. Patrol? It's right after ATH. <laughs> oh. I didn't know anything about it. By the way, this is your UNICEF box. Does that look familiar? This no. Is, this is an updated Nothing. version. That's what, no, I, that's what no, I remember. No, no. And you like opted it. in at school. You no, chose, 60 years you before chose that. You chose to get this, or you opted out. <laughs> you could opt out? You never returned them. And you oh. must have been trick-or-treating in Huntington to be filling up multiple cartons of, of uh, milk with coins. No, just what you got one carton, but when it got heavy, you threw it at somebody. Or you tried to throw it through the porch window. I'm telling you, there was mischief. <laughs> yes. Halloween was a scary time. Halloween, for people that owned houses, they had to be on guard all the time. It's not like it's a better, far better holiday now. It's far better. Is that... 
Sort of, but it was that's a little bit too formal. I that think. looks like but a yes. Happy Meal. Sort of like <laughs> it that. sort of does. Yeah. By the way, I can't tell you how many people reached out to me yesterday, and that struck home with them the, the, about the UNICEF. change. Well, UNICEF, yes. the change in people Halloween. People gave you pennies. Yes. People didn't give you dimes or quarters or nice. didn't stuff a dollar in there and say, go away. Nobody did anything like that. You when got I, pennies. When I drove out yesterday, I saw the, old, the fire pits and these out... Outdoor party scenes from your neighborhood. It's just really so different than when I went trick or treating. Um, the Halloween has become again like so a national holiday. I asked Helen yesterday. I went to Helen at the gym, who's British, and I said, "Do you have Halloween in England?" And she says, "Well, we've gotten it lately, but but it's Americans America's holiday." I mean, there may be Halloweens all over the world now. It's conceivable, but th- she was of the opinion. That it started here. And certainly, as I said before, and I don't know if it's this way in the rest of the country, because I'm not in the rest of the country. In Washington, D.C., it is a full-blown decoration holiday. Oh, yes. Rivaling rivaling Christmas. Absolutely. Ahead of everything else and rivaling Christmas. The house that you talked about yesterday, I drive by that house. (laughs) It's insane. I mean, it's just everything. It's grave, you know, uh, headstones, you know. Do you know that the house next door is under contract? No. Do you think any... uh, are you kidding me? Buy that house next door? That's a bit crazy. Off. Yeah, it's a bit off-putting. It's yes. just like you can wait. You're going to take Deshaun Watson today at the trade deadline? What are you talking? What can't do that? Speaking of football, let me segue for a second for a couple of minutes. The game last night, uh, Kansas City against the Giants. That doesn't really bring anybody but betters to the table, and most of the betters understand that Kansas City doesn't cover anymore, and so they're rooting for the Giants to win because that's the bet that they've made. It's not exciting in and of itself. The Giants aren't a good team. Kansas City has fallen down from the perch that they were at the last few years. So if you love football, you watch it. But it's not, you know, it's not the kind of game that you say, unless you're a Giants fan or Chiefs fan, it's not the kind of game where you say, you know, I'm going to spend three hours watching this game. That was the game that I went to Peyton and Eli Manning. And I stayed with it till I decided to go to sleep. Peyton and Eli Manning. Mostly Peyton Manning. They're on ESPN2, and they are doing what can only be described as a rump version of a Monday night football game. The game is on. They are in boxes on one side of the screen, up and down boxes, like Hollywood squares. And in the rest of the screen is the game. But they go minutes without talking about the game. They have John Stewart on, they have Michael Strahan on, they had Josh Allen on, they had Michael Irvin on. If you, it is, man, sometimes it's in for a dime, in for a dollar. You cannot leave it. You cannot leave it. Peyton Manning is brilliant at at least two things. I don't know about the rest, but he's brilliant at at least two things, football and communication. He's brilliant. Michael, you watch her. He's brilliant. So I, I came in in the second quarter totally expecting to turn it off and i find myself Watch it. uh just entranced by it. but i i push back on this peyton is brilliant and he would be brilliant on any any telecast i think he'd be really good on a on a live main network sure. telecast i think eli is the secret sauce to this peyton to me comes off a little bit a little bit too too knowledgeable uh has to talk down to you a little bit too much eli explains quarterback the way he sees the ball in real time there's one play in the second quarter where he's talking about well screen. he was an ex-giant though that mattered to him oh, yeah. but, and yes, you could, but you're right but that is also about the secret sauce where you could tell he was invested in this fan base and yes. what the team means particularly yep. when strahan comes on and you're seeing their reactions together. to live plays but he's talking about how you when you get that screen how you're turning into the numbers and that's how you're getting that eight nine ten chunk yards right, right there and then there's just these little bits that they do where it's the it's like the rundown where they have a little checklist as who's coming on and I don't, I can't imagine Eli's actually writing these things out, but it kind of looks like a bit that Eli could write this out and then put like straight hand check, like, oh, I'm, I'm checking off my homework ticks here. Uh, and he just has these planned questions where there's this beautiful, awkward moment where it should be a natural in game thing. And, he, and it'll always come back like, well, Hey, uh, John, did you ever? Did they ever try and get you to kick? Because look at your quads at this. At this yeah, it was a soccer player, yeah. William and Mary, John Stewart. Oh, I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, I think I remember hearing that. Yeah, I had no idea. There was a great natural moment where Stray and he comes back to this. Uh, a straight hand's a great entertainer. Yeah, and and just, but he comes back to the speech he made during you know one of the sideline speeches. Like that's the moment I really wanted to. And he's basically like, "You guys, you're the Mannings. You guys have enough." Uh, but I don't, did you stay after the half? 
No. So this is the stuff that only brothers can do. He starts talking about Peyton who tried to eat some chicken during halftime, and then they cut back to footage of this. And they show it. I saw that this morning. Peyton's eyes don't blink. He He devours the chicken. He devours it. And he's like, (laughs) Peyton, you had a fork and a knife. He's like, it was a sandwich. It's not fried chicken. This is a grilled piece of chicken on the boat. On the boat. Can only do that with brothers. So, (laughs) as you can hear in Michael's voice, there is rapture for this show. I don't know anybody who has tuned into it who has not attempted to go back to it at least once or twice the next week or whenever they're on. I did Monday Night Football. I know what that is. I know that you are delivering the game. It's, it's a pretty standard box that you're sitting in. You can't go too far outside it. No one will want you to do that. You can go to the edges, but the box is finite. This is totally out of that box. And if I were doing Monday Night Football, and, and they always talk about you can watch Peyton and Eli over at ESPN2, I don't know that I'd want to say that. Because if you start watching it, you may not go back. Right. You may not go back to the game. I think the Peyton and Eli audience builds every single week. I don't think it's anywhere near as large. I don't think it's a tenth as large as the actual game. But it makes you question but, what, what the what the look of Monday Night Football is going forward in that yes. you've had a full slate of games. Yes. You're trying to differentiate yourself, make make Monday night meaningful as a standalone, and there's a different feel to it. It has always been appointment viewing in the past. Mm-hmm. Now the appointment viewing feels like Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. And they get these Guess you know who all these people are. You're interested in what they have to say, and they are sitting in their homes, and they are relaxed, and you see a side of them that you are unfamiliar with, and it is invariably attractive, right? Yeah. Invariably attractive. Uh, You know, it's really, if by Monday night you've had enough football from Thursday and Sunday and Sunday night, if by Monday night you want a Relatively different experience. It's terrific. I, I mean, I don't know. I f- feel badly for the guys doing Monday night, the actual Monday night game, because as good a job as they may do, they can't do what the Mannings are doing. It's it's off the point. Can't do it. Yeah, it's different. Time. They won't let you do it. It's not the job. It's, you know, so it's really good. It's now really those good guys can wear a quarter zip. Yeah, I, they probably have clothing contracts. They're probably making this is Peyton Manning's production company, Omaha Productions. They're probably making a ton of dough on this. Oh, is that the name of his production? Yes, Omaha. Omaha. What's so great is Eli tosses to a stray <laughs> yeah. to, to stray hand old footage against against Peters. They're prepared. And, and these he's, producers like, are prepared. This is my production company. I get to, you don't get to throw this in at me. <laughs> right. Throw the good ones. It's just it's all right. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get off. Professional football. We'll talk a little bit about college football with Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the X chair read. From the first moment I sat in my X chair, my body immediately said, ah, so this is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. I should just add that I sat in an office at the Washington Post for an awfully long time. I had a pretty good chair. But my back was better then. <laughs> I think if I had that chair now with a bad back, I think it wouldn't be good. Right. I've never actually looked forward to sitting in my office because I don't have an office until I got my ex chair. Can your current office chair give you a massage when you're working? <clears throat> Excuse me, my ex chair can. You know what's wrong with my house? It's too dry. It's very dry. And so I'm coughing. It's too dry. I think the X chair can take care of that. Right? The X chair can do everything. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can. It's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair. And once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, or DVL to the cognoscenti, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort, those are all the reasons why you'll love your X chair. So try X chair for yourself, risk free for 30 days. And once you realize how much better your X-Chair should be, you'll never go back. Go to xchairtony.com now. That is the letter X, the word chair, Tony, T-O-N-Y, dot com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. (laughs) 
XchairTony.com, endorsed by Chessie <laughs> with the barking. Use She's the code, people. <laughs> You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a band called The Slow Claps. This is called The Halloween Song. And it comes to us from Mark Marin in Shibata, Japan, who writes, I'm Mark Marin, a dean of college English department and a semi-professional musician and living in Japan the past 30 years. I've learned about your show from afar. I was taken by surprise when you corresponded with Peter Jennings, not that Peter Jennings, <laughs> who worked for Dow Chemical. I didn't work for them directly, but I taught English to the executives working at their countryside plant located on the Sea of Japan coast. That would be the seaside closest to where Kim Jong-un throws his missiles into the water. Anyway, love the show and the jingles. Here's a Halloween ditty that a band I'm a member of threw together to celebrate the autumn festival known as All Hallows' Eve. It's an original uh, by a bunch of English teachers, Japanese businessmen, and students. By the way, it is tastefully thrown together. There's a music video available, but it doesn't work on this medium, does it? Just in case you wanted to see it, and he gives me the link, which I... Not going to say on the <laughs> The band is called The Slow Claps, after the response we usually get from our Japanese audience. And the tune is called The Halloween Song. Mark Marin. It's, the tissue is it's amazing. amazing. Plays in Pat 40 of Sports Illustrated. One of the first times we're not going to talk about the Olympics and talk about Brooke, though we wish Brooke well. I, I will tell you, Pat, I should start with Harbaugh, and I'll get to Harbaugh. But I'm starting with Gary Patterson. I am blown away that TCU fired this guy, then had the cojones to ask him to stay for the rest of the season. His record at TCU is 181-79. and 79. You may not share my being appalled at this move, but maybe you do. Can you explain it? Well, I, I mean, it's a extremely, like, it seems like inappropriate way to end his career by bum-rushing him uh, in October. You know, on Halloween, uh, I thought they were heading toward this because this is probably, you know, two, certainly two consecutive poor seasons and, and really kind of about three or four where they're not performing at the level they had been. But, yeah, this guy's the best coach in school history. I can't remember, for, for reasons of wins and losses, a coach who has a statue outside your stadium being fired like this. I mean, it's just uh, remarkable that they couldn't give him a, an appropriate send-off. Uh, and I, I, I think it's 100% predictable, knowing Gary Patterson, that when they went to him on Halloween and said, hey, we'd like to yeah, have you, you know, do this like long goodbye and we'll give you a big you know, uh, huzzah on the way out. And he said, no, screw you. If you want to fire me, I'm leaving now. That's him. <laughs> uh, so that, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, even trying to, to, to walk that weak stuff up to him was going to get rejected. So it, it's just it, it's completely inappropriate, yet also very appropriate for the way things have gone in the state of Texas in the last 12 months with everybody there. The whole state's nuts. So let me go over this again. 181 and 79. Now, I know Pat doesn't have these numbers available, but we did this story yesterday, and I do. He's 21 and 22 in his last three seasons, and that isn't good. But it isn't awful. It's not like coaching Kansas. This guy, TCU, used to be a big deal with Davey O'Brien in the 1940s when Dan Jenkins went there. They were nothing for decades. They had fallen into something called the Mountain West Conference. This guy, Patterson, rescued them, brought them up step-by-step step into the Big 12. He went 13-0 one year. He won the Rose Bowl when he was in the Mountain West Conference conference and this is the way he goes out i mean this is pat it's outrageous to me it's outrageous he they were nothing there's a statistic we used yesterday he went to 17 bowl games in 20 years and he won 11 of them from 1896 to the day he got hired tcu went to a total of 17 bowl games and there are more bowl games now but he is the best coach that they've had in 60 years right yeah, no, absolutely. Since Dutch Meyer, he's always he's the best coach they've ever had, and for all the reasons you said. And they don't get into the Big Twelve without Gary Patterson. That's all true. The problem is, Tony, 
this is college football today. Have you looked around? Have you seen? I mean, Ed Orgeron got bounced 17 games yeah. after going 15-0. <laughs> yes, Texas Texas yes. fired a coach who was 5-3 and three in his third season. Uh, USC fired their coach two games into the season. I mean, the place has become so mercenary, so panic-driven, so we have to act now. You know, they, they I mean, it's it's more cold-blooded and mercenary, quite frankly, than the NFL in the way they treat their coaches, which I never thought we'd reach that point, but that's where we are. Um, Wilbon says this is about boosters. Wilbon's answer to everything is this is about boosters, and boosters saying, I'll write a check and we'll get rid of this guy and we'll get somebody else. A, do you believe in that? And B, Gary Patterson's probably in his 60s. Will he want another job? Will he get another job? I'd hire him if I ran a college. Yeah, I think he'll want another job, and yes, I think he will get another job. Uh, I, you know, I think at least right now he's he's hurt enough and angry enough about this. He's like, I, I'm not going out this way. So I would expect him to at least try to coach again. As for the, boosters, I hope he gets a job in the Big Twelve. <laughs> I hope he gets a job there and beats TCU. Yeah. I mean, hell, Texas Tech could do worse, right? They, yeah. they just fired their guy last week, so. Uh, as for the boosters, um, they, yeah, that's. I mean, I know that's the case in many circumstances. I don't know about this one in particular. I can't say for sure, but there's plenty of times when boosters have had enough influence and enough money that they'll go to the athletic director and say, "Yeah, you know what? Look, we'll we'll make all this happen as long as you know your, your name's on the work, but up behind the scenes, I'm paying for it." Uh, the boosters, especially in the state of Texas, my gosh, they have uh, an extraordinary amount of influence that they probably shouldn't have. Well, Dan Jenkins used to write about Big Ed Bookman in the oil business because everybody in Fort Worth is either in the meat business or the oil business. And, and you know, there's money there, right? Pat, there's money, oh, yeah. like you're saying. There's real money in Texas, at University of Texas, at SMU, at Texas, at Texas Tech, at all of these Texas schools. All right, I'll get to Harbaugh. What is the end game there? Uh, will they move on? He doesn't win big. I think he's very good for college football. But at what point does even a school like Michigan say, man, we, we got to win some of these games? Yeah, you know, I we'll see how the rest of this season goes. I think if they if they're ten and two, and you've lost to Michigan State and Ohio State, that's a bitter pill. But they would still swallow it. I don't think you yep. fire them at ten and two. Uh, you know, they, if you look, I mean, boy, this is yeah, this is a tricky one because obviously Michigan is way better with him than it was with its previous two coaches, Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez, uh, and frankly. You know, Michigan's view of itself is a bit uh, self-aggrandized because they've won, like, one national title in the last, right. oh, I don't know, 70 years. It's not like it's Alabama where you just win them all the time and it doesn't matter who the coach is at almost. this. So, yes, you desperately want to beat Ohio State, but you're not getting over that mountain. Probably not this year. I don't know when. Uh, you should want to beat and be able to beat Michigan State more than they have. Uh, Harbaugh's had some some gut busters there, and this was one of those where Ooh, there's up five different plays. Yeah, if, if one of five different plays goes differently by an inch or two, they yes. win, and they maybe win easily. So, I, but I, I think Harbaugh, as long as this season doesn't fall apart here, will be back uh, in 2022. He can't be a bad coach. His history indicates he can't be a bad coach, right? He can't be. Right. No, he's, he's not a bad coach. He's not. Now, you know, he, he's had some shortcomings that have been exposed. He's, he's not recruited well enough. Uh, his staff got old and a little bit stale on him. They, they have a new, younger, more uh, energetic staff. They're doing better recruiting now. Uh, I don't know if they're ever going to recruit quite to the level that Ohio State has. Uh, and that's the point where even if you don't have as much talent, at some point you've got to beat those guys. But I, I still don't think you, you throw out Jim Harbaugh after a 10-2 and two season. So Mel Tucker is the first coach in the history of Michigan State, which began playing football in the 1800s, to go 2-0 and in his first two games against Michigan, which is an interesting little fact. He's got about 20 or 30 transfers. 
The transfer portal now strikes me like the chocolate fountain at Golden Corral. You just lay under it, and everybody you want drops to you. How does this work, and how did he get Kenneth Walker the third? How did Wake let him go? Yeah, well, the, here's the thing, like... <laughs> with the, the the chocolate fountain, you, you have to be able to sell the chocolate to come to you. You know, it's not like like right. the good chocolate, right? And, right. and he's right. done that I, because Michigan State's not one of those places that people are like, oh gosh, yeah, I've always dreamed of playing there. Let's go there. You know, they they brought in I think it was fourteen transfers and at eight different positions, six of them are having big impacts. Kenneth Walker may win the Heisman. Yes. I think it's amazing to me. Like, we, what was he like? How how come he wasn't getting every carry at Wake Forest? He was splitting the position there. The guy is phenomenal. He gets to Michigan State, and I talked to people there. They said as soon as he walked in the door, he took over. They said he was just an animal in the weight room, just super intense and competitive, and brought this this real uh, drive to the program, and and had just had an immediate impact on everybody. And he's a very nice kid, very soft-spoken from outside of Memphis. Uh, and, but he's not the only one. You know, they brought in an offensive tackle. They brought in a linebacker. They brought in cornerbacks. Uh, so Mel Tucker was, was extremely smart in targeting what they need and then going and selling that to those guys. And he's a really interesting guy, Mel, because, you know, he, he's so soft-spoken that, like, in, in big – press conference setting sometimes you can barely even hear him but then you get him away from the podium and he's very personable he's very intense he's you know he's got a lot of typical football coach to him but he's just got an ability to present to especially to young people that really appeals to them and whether he stays at Michigan State whether he goes to LSU which is going to have some interest whether he goes to the NFL back to the NFL where he's been the assistant for a long time there's probably going to be interest there I think we're looking at a guy who's going to be a big-time success in coaching for many years to come. Like, I'd love to criticize Wake. How stupid are you that you let this guy go? But Wake's undefeated for the first time <laughs> in 300 years. So yeah. it's, I, I, I just, it's just it's unbelievable. All right, let me get to one thing, get you out on this. USC, you mentioned it early. They fired their coach two games in. Where are they going? What are they going to do? That's... That is a program, if you listed the five most important college football programs in history, USC would probably be one of them. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, the, boy, talk about a sport that is so much better when they're good and yes. when California has a viable, you know, powerful entry in, in the national scene. Because everybody wants to turn on the TV and see that sunshine and the green grass and the song girls and the uniforms and have them be good yep. and yep. the stupid yep. horse and everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, that's all great. They can still do that. They can get it back. They've got to make the right hire. I don't know for sure where they're going to go. The, the James Franklin situation has become fascinating because it's like he's gone from a guy who was the bell of the ball to his own school is kind of lukewarm on him now. You know, they, they, they have, they have yeah. gone south there by losing three games in a row. Uh, and this is somebody that people are thinking is going to get $9 million a year. He's going to be in a bidding war between Penn State, LSU, and USC. And now the people at Penn State are like, eh, he wants to go. Goodbye. Let you know, him go. Just, yeah. Yeah. That's college football for you. Thank you, Pat. Uh, hey, my pleasure, Tony. Say hi to your, your daughter, well, all your children, but especially your daughter, because we talked about her so much. We hope she's well. Thank you. I will. She's got a little something for you. We'll be sending it to you. Wonderful. Pat Forty, boys and girls. We will take a break. We'll come back with Richard Justice and a World Series preview. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the SeatGeek ad. I drop out of this ad. From Michael and Nigel, you have the app. We yes. have the app. Are you looking at anything? Did you look at anything in the last 24 hours? Yeah, game six. So what you got? Yeah, I'm, try I'm trying to see if I can get a, a nice look down into the catcher's sign in Houston. <laughs> what do you think that would cost? A couple hundred bucks. Well, you want to take, really? take a flight? No, but I'm just saying a couple of hundred is all. That's well, what's good. so great is they'll give, us, they'll give us the breakdown to see if it's a green or a red light. Right, get that good deal. Green yeah. means go. SeatGeek is incredibly popular with all kinds of people. I don't know what that means. In fact, it's the highest-rated ticketing app, whether it's concerts, baseball, basketball, football, festivals, 
or anything else, SeatGeek puts tickets from all over the web in one place to make buying simple. Oh, Nigel's in the app. SeatGeek rates every ticket from zero to 10 to make sure you're getting a good deal. And as Michael said, green means good and red means bad. You can get $20 off your first purchase with the promo code Tony at SeatGeek.com or on the SeatGeek app. That's promo code Tony. $20 off your first SeatGeek order. SeatGeek, get your seat in the seat. Download the app today. Why wouldn't you use the code? You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Danny Muella. He says, I'm born and raised in Miami, Florida, always gravitated towards music and sports. My mother was a public school music teacher for 40 years. That's where the influence for the former came from. The latter was provided by yourself and Mr. Wilbon via the PTI program. You both helped. Clue me in on the history and culture of sports, not just rooting for teams, but understanding context and appreciating the irreverence and quirks of the sports world. Now, whenever I plug in my headphones around 7 p.m. Central Time and my fiance asks me who I'm listening to, I tell her it's my favorite old men, my sports grandpas. Your pod being an intersection of sports, music, and lifestyle is perfect, even if the lifestyle is addict-biased or addict-based. I recorded these songs in April of 2020. During the initial lockdown, I was finally ready to put myself out there after writing songs since I was 17, nearly 20 years now. I'd moved to New Orleans, got to experience Mardi Gras before COVID shut the lights off. Something about this place, it won't let you live here without creating art. New Orleans doesn't care about your hang-ups, just play the song. Four Syllables is the name of the album, if you can call it that. It's a more, it's more a 20-minute love letter to breakup albums, mid-2000 indie rock and 70s folk. I'm proud of these songs. I hope you and the guys will feature them. This is called Simple. And he says, P.S. Tell Mr. Wilbon that Miami does have loyal sports fans that do have perspective. Miami's a lot younger than Chicago, so we better put some respect on its name. <laughs> this is said respectfully, of course, so that I'm not called a clown and told to shut up, which is what Wilbon would do. Absolutely. Plays in Richard Justice, who is born and raised in Texas, lives in Texas, lives in Houston, is... I don't know if you're a fan, but you've been fond of the Astros and all the people around the Astros for a long time. The Astros came home 3-2 up against the Nats two years ago, promptly lost them both and lost the World Series. When Dusty Baker says we're going home, I'm not certain home is exactly where you want to be. But, Richie, you know far better than I. You know the intricacies of the stadium and whether it'll be opened up or not opened up or however that works. What do you think about the Astros coming home having to win both? Uh, I think it's sort of uh, where they wanted to be after they fell down three to one, and and what we thought would happen in this World Series that the Braves had the advantage in the starting pitching, the Astros, the Braves had the advantage in the bullpen probably, but the Astros could hit. Well, the one thing they haven't done in the World Series until Game Five is hit, and so I think just being back home, being back in a climate they can control having their fans, not having the cheater, cheater, not having the organist yeah. play. Uh, <laughs> the organist in Atlanta is pretty good. You know, when uh, Altuve comes up, he plays, I'm a little teapot, short and stout. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, and when uh, Bregman was going so bad, he played Tom Petty's Free Falling. And, uh, you, know, you know, so there's that. And But I think what's fast, so fascinating about it is, and this happens a lot, you see it in, late in an NBA series, is that the two teams are pretty much fried. And the, bull, the bullpens, the pitching staffs are fried. The, everybody's exhausted. Everybody's nursing aches and pains. So who's got the advantage? I mean, I, you know, I don't, it's just a sort of a survival game at this point. And that's how this World Series started with both pitching teams being, both pitching, both pitching squads being pretty much messed up. So who, who comes out of it? I mean, you can make, you could legitimately make a case for each team. The, the Braves have Max Fried on regular rest. They have three of their back-end starters with two days of, I mean, back-end relievers with two days of rest. But does that matter? Fried hasn't pitched well. The Astros have seen all those relievers. And uh, the Astros are starting Luis Garcia, rookie that was great for them this year. He'll probably finish second in the Rookie of the Year voting. But he wasn't very good in his first start of the series and hasn't been very good for maybe the last month. How it plays out, I have no idea. Dusty changed the lineup. He dropped Bregman. Bregman responded. He got some hits. Uh, You have to do something in Game 5 if you're down 3-1. You think he'll keep the lineup that way? 
Yeah, he said he was going to sleep on it overnight. He said things come to me during the night. And and what it was is he moved Bregman down because Bregman was the point where this is one of the most confident players you ever see. And he was scuffling in a way I had never seen him scuffle since he came up this, since his first couple of weeks in the big leagues. And he was to the point where he's getting himself out. And he just can't. You know, you say, well, I'm going to put him up there. I'm going to surround him by the best hitters. He'll get more pitches to hit. That wasn't happening. And then, then he, he moved Correa up and just rode him a little bit. It all worked out. I mean, he pushed every right button. You pitch hit Zach Grinky, and Grinky hits the ball 105 miles an hour. Then you pinch hit Marwin Gonzalez, who is a folk hero in the clubhouse as part of the 2017 team. His home run in Game 2 of the World Series probably won the World Series for, for the Astros. And then he, he gets a hit that sort of breaks it open for Houston. Dusty had a really good game five. Do you think that the DH, now there's a DH, does that favor either team? Does that affect the game? Well, the Astros were designed with the DH in mind. Uh, I don't think it's as big an advantage, but it helps their outfield defense. They'll put a true center fielder in the game, either Jose Siri or Chaz McCormick, and they'll get Jordan Alvarez out of there. Although, you know, he wasn't bad. I mean, he wasn't bad in left field, but he puts them back in their normal, you know, normal mode that they're in. On the other hand, it just allows the Braves to put another hitter in the lineup. So I, I don't, I don't see it being a, a big advantage. It's just we may never ever see a pitcher hit again. Do you think that the indoor stadium has meaning here, or is it basically that the Astros won't get yelled at and screamed at all the time? That. That's it. And, and yes. in fact, they may, yes. MLB may force them to open the roof again, if it, depending on the temperatures. I think it's supposed to be in the 60s tonight. And if that's the case, they, they would order them to open the roof. And it's really, you know, the last time they did that in Game 2, and it was spectacularly beautiful in Houston that day. So, yeah, I, I think it's just having your home fans, your home energy, and to, to feed off that. Does that matter when you're so tired and when you're armed? You're, both teams have seen all the relievers. I, that I don't know, and that's that's what makes it. That's what makes a game six so interesting. I would. I mean, listening to you, if everybody's tired, I would favor the hitters over the pitchers. If everybody is tired, right? Um, I think that's right, but the hitters are some of the hitters are struggling too. And um, now you know the, the the main guys for the Astros snapped out of it in a in a in a big way in yeah. Game Five. Does that carry over? I you know I, I don't know. And and what's Freed going to be if if Freed executes his pitches? And he, for, look, he's he hasn't been very good for a while. But if he does that, he's going to win. It's it's I mean it's really a yang and yang. You could you could argue both sides till till dawn and not come up with an answer. And uh, you know that's why we love sports. So I'm going to ask you a strategic question, and just if you're Snitker, do you go all in to win six, or do you not? Do you save the arms? Do you, you make sure that Ian Anderson only has to go five or six and your arms are better? You give up on six because you have seven, or do you go all in to win six? I guess it depends on what the score is, but what do you think? No, I think you have to go all in on it, I, and I think that's the way they've approached every game. And I... I uh, the exception might be game five, and that may come back to bite Brian Snicker. He stayed with that kid, Tucker Davidson, his first yes. major league start. He probably stayed with him too long. On the other hand, he goes into six with three relievers with two days rest. And, you know, and instead of trying to preserve that lead, he sort of – it sounds strange, but he sort of looked like he was playing the long game in game five, and I don't know that I've ever seen that before. But he could not be in a better spot – for six and seven, but I think you don't want to go to a game seven. You know, even right. no matter who, where you are, you don't want to go to a game seven because you're one game and you're one bad bounce from 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 ending your your entire season. So, yeah, you. I think you, and I think this is the way he's approached it. All hands on deck, and I think both teams are in a complete scramble mode with their pitching. You mentioned uh, playing the long game. At least the word long is in there. The games are so long. We oh talk about God. this all the time. But, Richie, they're so long. You it's, lose your audience, right? It's, yeah, this, I think the average is 341. Game one was 406. I think game five was four minutes. I mean, four hours. You just can't do that. You can't ask people to devote four and a half hours of their life. We're looking up 
I, I think Will Bond said this yesterday. You can watch two NBA games. We're looking up in the we're in the two, second or third inning, and it, we're like an hour and a half in. And I yeah. said to my wife, I said, I, I don't want to sound like that guy, but my God, they're <laughs> going to kill this sport. I mean, you can actually. Well, Wilbon said this too. You can actually watch a couple of movies and just go back and forth. And here's the problem. And I think Passon said this: the players don't are not aware of it. But even more than that, because the players are playing the game, they're grinding through every at bat and all that. But even more than that, I think the players resist the idea that the games are too long, that the sport has an aesthetic problem. Now. The commissioner knows it. The fan surveys show it, that if you're watching on TV, there's too much dead time. And and the pitch clock is one solution. I, I have friends that go to Arizona Fall League games with, with the pitch clock, and when they leave, they go, you know, I didn't even know the clock was there, but that game sure did have a nice pace. You have to do something. You're going to kill the sport. Is there going to be a sport next year? Is, is, <laughs> do you think it will start on time? The, the dynamics have completely changed. The uh, players have a new negotiator, Bruce Meyer, who came over from the NBA. The problem is the whole dynamic, the whole paradigm of salary compensation has to change. Teams are not paying players after their 30th birthday for the most part, and you and the, and they're not paying them before you know when they're 24, 25, 26. That's the productive years. And how do you shift that back? How do you shift the way that the players have been compensated for 50 years? How do you shift it back? There is To say there's going to be a war of ideas and a war in the media is, is an understatement. Um, are, are they, you know, you and I could sit down and we could come to a deal in an hour. But when, it's, when the first answer to everything is, screw you, then it's pretty hard to get <laughs> yeah. a deal done. And so far, <laughs> yeah. the negotiations yeah. have netted nothing. Yeah. We're not yeah, changing, I, and, and you're, you're asking the owners to do givebacks. The owners, the players have, have in, in previous years have done that, and nobody, nobody, whether it's Congress, nobody wants to take something back or give up something they feel they've earned in collective bargaining. And, and, and is there an, uh, an acknowledgement that we have to change the way players are paid? We have to change the way the, play, the game is played on the field. And I don't think they're there yet. That makes me feel bad. I mean, that this could be the last World Series for a while. I mean, baseball, well, more than I, other look, sports, baseball's been shelved. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would just say this. I, I, I think there are enough people on both sides that went through what happened in 94 and 95 when they made a good faith effort to kill the sport that yeah. they understand how long-lasting the damage was. And if it hadn't been for Ripken pursuing Gehrig's record and Sosa and McGuire chasing uh, Roger Maris, um, you know, the sport wouldn't have come back. So you, you can't, I would think logically, you can't go into a situation where you're going to risk everything. But when you think you're right and the other side is completely wrong and I'm not giving in and you're trying to screw me, when that's your attitude, pretty hard to find a, find a common ground. Well, I hope they find that. Thank you, Richie. We'll talk soon. Richard Justice, Thanks. boys and girls. Uh, born and raised, Waxahachie, Waxahachie, Texas. Lives in Houston. You know which way he's leaning. You know which way he's leaning. It's fine. It's fine. We'll take a break. We'll have email and jingle when we return. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Policy Genius ad. There's a lot to be thankful for, like how Policy Genius can check if you're paying too much for home and auto insurance. Mashed potatoes, stuffing, cranberry sauce from a can. There's a lot on your plate this November. Why not let Policy Genius help by looking for lower home and auto insurance rates for you? I just add parenthetically, you can get regular cranberries. You don't have to get cranberries in a can. That's right. You can get your own cranberries it's not the same. and make your own. It's not safe? Not the same. Oh, it's not the same. Of course it's safe. The yeah. cranberries. <laughs> you know, it's never a bad time to find ways to bundle your home and auto insurance and save with Policy Genius. They can help you find home and auto coverage similar to what you have now, but at a lower price. They've saved customers an average of $1,250 per year over what they were paying for home and auto insurance. They've saved new customers an average of $435 per year on auto insurance, and they've saved new customers an average of $350 per year on home insurance. Their team will handle the paperwork to set up your new policy or switch over your current one. 
Let's go to policygenius.com. Answer a few quick questions, not trick questions, quick questions about yourself and your property, and Policy Genius will take it from there. They will compare rates from America's top insurers from Progressive to Allstate to find your lowest quotes. The Policy Genius team can look for ways to save you more, including bundling your home and auto policies, and if they find a better rate than what you're paying now, they will switch you over for free. So head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your emails, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all of you folks. But don't send in faxes. <laughs> thank you, Jason Fuse. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad, please? Yes, thank you, Mr. Tony. Uh, Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Uh, we got the bagels today. We got the bagel sandwiches yesterday. Lots of great things for you. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Yeah, pizza dogs. Mm. That'll do it for us today. But before we get to the mailbag, let me just say there must be some word today from my girlfriend so far away. Please, Mr. Postman, look and see if there's a letter, a letter for me. I've been standing here waiting, Mr. Postman. Oh, whoa, so patiently for just a card or just a letter saying she's returning home to me. Now, originally, that was Please, Mr. Postman by the Marvelettes, yes. but they wouldn't have talked about their girlfriend. They would have talked about their boyfriend. So this is a different version. That's the Beatles version in my head. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Which, it's a great Mar- tune. Yeah, the Marvelettes. Please, Mr. Postman. Marvelettes is, is brilliant, but yeah. John and the boys uh, cover it very, very well. Thank you to our guest today, Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated, Richard Justice. Thanks to our sponsors today, Policy Genius X Chair and Seat Geek. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Let's go to the mailbag. Steve the Sycophant writes about UNICEF Halloween. I enjoyed your recollection of long-ago Halloweens, including the pocketing of UNICEF donations. 1950 was the first year of UNICEF's tie-in with Halloween, and I, as a cute and precocious eight-year-old, was out there getting candy and money. I wasn't as smart as you. I turned in all the money. I think I faced one thing in Lincoln, Nebraska. You didn't in the wilds of Long Island. About every 10th house, I'd get a lecture about UNICEF being a communist front. And how all the money I was collecting was going straight to the Russians. I learned to smile and say, thanks, I didn't know that. Grab some candy and take off. Now I just open the door, toss out candy and say, no tricks, please. Steve the sycophant. Yeah, because at that period of time in the 50s, of course, the entire concept of globalization, there was something in the United States called the John Birch Society. They didn't want anything to do with all the rest of these countries. They thought everything was a communist plot. Everything was a communist plot, including, I'm sure, Social Security and Medicare, a communist plot. (laughs) From Curry Myers in Philadelphia, I've been a regular watcher of PTI since it was always on when I came home from middle school, and I was tuned into the podcast a few years ago by another little. While catching up on this week's episode and thoroughly enjoying your continued threats to contact your local elected officials about your trailer problem, I had my first true David Aldridge moment. On Monday's podcast, you mentioned the name of the city council you aid, uh, aid you plan to write angry emails to, and I said, hold on, I know that guy. Matt and I taught at the same elementary school in New Orleans, where we're both from. This is Matt Landrew, which is a New Orleans name. While I can't attest to his trailer-hauling skills, I can say <laughs> Matt was an excellent educator, and his gift for calming third graders could be a transferable skill here. On a side note, as a former teacher, I always appreciate Michael calmly explaining the basics of modern technology to his aging father in what I imagine is the same tone he used with adolescents in his teaching years. Aging. Aging. That's you. Steve Durbin, Columbia, Missouri. That's the home of the University of Missouri. Am I a bad little because I've been hoping that the abandoned RV would end up being owned by Wander Suero and Blake Trinan? (laughs) Here is a shared haiku for the cape and Halloween. From father to son, pockets full of mementos, tradition bestowed. When are you going to take the cape? Uh, uh, Halloween 2022. It's on the calendar. So can I put it back in the closet? Uh, It's a great place for it. Okay, then that's what I'll do. From Premel Shah, Ph.D. in Palo Alto. If you're a Ph.D. in Palo Alto, I'm thinking it's Stanford, right? 
My 10-year-old son, a fifth grader, had a guest for their unit on journalism. She happens to be my son's friend's mom and a former editor at the Washington Post. She won something called the Pulitzer Prize for the Edward Snowden investigation. Have you heard of this prize? Have you won one by any chance? Anyway, my son, in the chat of the Zoom call, asked the speaker, did you ever meet Tony Kornheiser? My dad listens to him all the time, but he never won a Pulitzer Prize. But he's funny. He knows about sports. Ah, kids. Don't worry, Dr. T. As punishment, he's being forced to go back and read your columns I grew up on. He was amazed you even did that writing thing. Don't worry, I'll keep up the good fight. That's just lovely. Just lovely. From Dave Fleming. Dave Fleming is an announcer at ESPN and a very, very good one. I'll read this. Oh, I'm oh, wow. reading this cold. Dear Tony, I was in Utah this weekend for college football on ESPN. Our game kicked off at 10.15 p.m. Eastern, so I'm certain you didn't see a single snap. Anyway, I drove up Saturday morning to Park City for breakfast and a hike. I pulled into a small parking area, and when I arrived, sensed something odd. When I got out of my generic rental, it dawned on me. Seven of the 12 cars in the lot, yes, I counted, were Subarus. I recommend you avoid Park City. <laughs> P.S. How great was the music of Oliver Kaplan last week? Made me smile almost as much as Burns Wilmer Flores' check swing song. Almost. And speaking of baseball, thanks to you and Kirkchen and Richie and Passon and Darling et al., for the great baseball coverage this year. Much appreciated by me. Dave Fleming's really good. Isn't that great? That's really nice. From Dr. Dr. Joel Pereira. I think it's pronounced Pereira. Department of Mathematics, Drexel University. Oh, Drexel Dragons, just, right? Just across the street from the University of Pennsylvania. That's right. Drexel. Who do I have to call at Hallmark to advocate for a new holiday? I call it Porthauser Day. It's the day in October when dignitaries in their top hats and media descend upon a particular house in northwest D.C., waiting patiently for an old hairless orange beast to come timidly out of his hibernation. If he's wearing shorts, we'll have six more weeks of summer. If he's wearing pants, we will know that fall has begun. Think of all the possibilities, cards, decorations, maybe even a Johnny O promo code. Happy Porthauser Day to you and yours, Uncle Tony. Here's another one. This is about, this is from Stephen Brock. And Nigel was talking about this before we sat down this morning. Mr. Tony, the Braves manager, that's Brian Snitker, was the manager of the Durham Bulls when Bull Durham was filmed. The baseball card on Annie's mirror. Annie is the character played by Susan Sarandon. The baseball card on Annie's mirror is Brian Snitker, the current Braves manager. That's fabulous. That is pretty cool. Kind and of... I'll bet he gets such a kick out of that. Oh, sure. It's just so, that little small thing. That's like being in the Americans. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. so wonderful. It is cool. From Dave Miller in Johnstown or Johnston, Iowa. There are three things all wise men fear. The sea and storm, a night with no moon, and the anger of a bald orange man. <laughs> I like that. And one more. From Scott Michael in DuPont Circle here in Washington, D.C. Long-time little former 20015 resident, loved the style section columns, but obviously my last email detailing all my connections was deemed too much sucking up. I get it. You can't always get what you want from the discussion with Chuck Todd on October 27th was not the open scene in The Big Chill. That was, I heard it through the grapevine. The Stone song was during the funeral scene. Okay, thank you on that. That is When my right. three sons, now all 30-ish, were little, and they'd cry or complain about something they wanted, I always calmly said, hey, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you might get what you need. My sole objective was to plant a time bomb, time bomb in their heads so that when they were in a bar later in life and heard the song, they'd say, holy cow, that's what my dad used to tell me all the time. Happy to say that when one of them was in college, we were listening to classic rock, and the song came on. He said, hey, wait a minute. So it worked. And this is why therapists make so much money. <laughs> Thanks for the outstanding shows and entertainment, especially during the long pandemic walks. That's fantastic. Can I, uh, do you remember what they did with, uh, with that song? It starts out in the organ at oh, the church, it, it, and then it, it blends into an the enormous, so yeah. It becomes an enormous cathedral song. Yeah, it's a really great song. No, it's moment. great. It yeah. becomes a cathedral song in the big chill. Yes. Yeah. If you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. I'm going to solve. All right. Corno curl no, cabinet. <laughs> you're an idiot. You're an idiot.
monster, I see a ghost. I see a werewolf, oh, I hate them the most. Don't be afraid, it's just Halloween. I see a vampire, I see a bat. I see a zombie, now I don't know where it's at. Don't be afraid, it's just Halloween. No, I'm not sharing my I see a cat, I see your mummy, now I don't know where she's at. 